0: Does this to me? I always had to follow you guys, and makes it so difficult. You guys are always so talented, but um, yeah. Um, I, I think I mentioned. I just wanted to, to add a little bit more. Um, there's a marriage retreat this weekend up in the mountains. Um, Michael and Cynthia is leading it. Um, something we did last year about this time, and we did it again this year, and hopefully we can do it um next year. Just we're limited on a little bit of space because um, it's the cabin it's my parents' cabin, and there's only five rooms, and so only five couples or four couples can go, um, and so it's always good, you know, marriage retreat, Anytime you take a retreat, it's not that, hey, something's wrong, it's, it's like taking your car to the shop for maintenance, it's changing the oil a little bit, learning, learning some maybe new communication ways, or uh, being refreshed in that, and so we do have a marriage um, workshop, I believe, scheduled in May, and so um, I'm going to the dates on that, but just let you know that that we're investing in different ways, not always just in marriage, but, but in uh, encouraging people to use their spiritual gifts in different ways along those lines. And so God is good, isn't he? Good. Um, bring up one of those pictures. I want, you to, I want to get your opinion or your thoughts on some pictures this morning. What do, what do, you, what do you see in this picture? What comes to mind as, as you look at this? It's contaminated. Yes. Any other thoughts? No. Hope no one has to drink from it. Absolutely. Go go to the next one. What oh. was? No. A little bit of water in a tire. Go to, go to the next one. Yeah. What about this? Mosquitoes. <laughs> Thinking of malaria and and all those things.
1: Yeah, you know, in all these pictures, the water, you could say, is stagnant. There, there's a stagnation of, of the water in some form or fashion, so things are collecting within it. And, and as Roberta said, you, you wouldn't want to drink from it. You wouldn't want to swim in it. You wouldn't want to even put your chair beside it and sunbathe or, or, or lay out by the pool and relax, whatever you do um, when you get by the pool. There's these things that you wouldn't want to do. You probably wouldn't want to wash your clothes in it. You know, it's a stagnation that is there. And this morning, what I've titled this message in some way, at least the theme, I guess you could say, is moving from stagnation to being more in the flow. But what I want to really point out is when you talk about being stagnant in the church, a stagnant Christian or a stagnant church, most of the time we jump to an image like this. That there's no life in that person. There's hypocrisy. There's all these negative things that kind of come forth from that. And that's not what I'm talking about this morning when I'm talking about being stagnant somewhat as a Christian or getting to a place where you're more stationary, maybe where you've plateaued to a certain degree. You know, this year, let me explain. You know, This year, we, we've kind of declared and proclaimed that this is a year of victory. 2017 is a year of victory where we're going to see the visible manifestations of things we've been believing and praying for in some form or fashion, whether it's healing, physical healing, whether it's spiritual breakthrough, whether it's healing of some emotional um, trauma or the, the cutting away of some emotional baggage, whether it's understanding once again or maybe having a clarity on God's calling and dream in our life. is That's what we believe is, is there. But you know, victory doesn't come without what? A price? Yeah, it doesn't come without a battle. If I gave you a trophy this morning, and I guess Joe took all his props with him, but if I gave you a trophy this morning and said, here, this is, this is because of, of victory. That's your victory trophy. You'd be like, well, what did I do to get this victory trophy? Oh, nothing. It, it just happened. You would say, no, it's not a battle. It's not a victory trophy based on the battle. You just gave me a trophy because I participated in something. There's a difference. If we want victory, it's not about participating necessarily. It's about battling for the things that we're called to battle for. Paul says that we are to stand firm and to fight. There's a calling that's there upon our lives. And and many times we, we forget that we're battling, but yet we are battling. See, when I look around this church and I look around at each person and think about each person that's in this church, there is a battling that we do. There's no doubt. I, I don't question that we battle. So I don't, when, I, when I look at that picture, we're not stagnant at times like that. It's more that we've battled so much that we begin to grow weary. Or we battle in certain ways and we don't see maybe God moving in the way that we want him to move or or in a visible way. Thus we say, okay, God, I think I'm just going to kind of take a little bit of a step back. I think I'm just going to kind of not battle as much. And we almost plateau. And maybe it's a better word is that we plateau. You know, first of the year when you come out of the Christmas season or the holiday season, most people have a resolution to say, I'm going to lose some weight. And, and usually you lose some weight very quickly by changing a couple things in your, in your lifestyle. Maybe you begin to exercise. I'm going to walk a mile a day. I'm going to cut out soft drinks. And I'm going to, I'm going to have smaller portions. And for most people, they lose 2 or 3, 4, or 5, 10 pounds fairly quickly. But then you continue to do the same thing 2 or 3 weeks down the road, and you're not losing any weight. You've kind of plateaued. You've got to change and go a little bit deeper. You've you've kind of grown accustomed to that. And and the Lord is saying, or not the Lord, but, but in order to lose weight, you've got to kind of ratchet it up just a little bit more. And as Christians, sometimes we get to that place where we've kind of plateaued. We've kind of become stagnant in some ways. We don't want to think about it being stagnant because we're reminded of those pictures. And we say, no, no, I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm doing these things. But yet, there's just something that is there that's hovering over us that there's more. There's more that God wants. There's more of an engaging. There's more of an encounter that he wants. And for many of us, we just kind of grow weary as we battle. And we say, okay, I'm good right here. And And we're fine with being there. I'm fine with being in this place. Or there's a fear that comes upon us sometimes. And we say, you know, I would like to move into deeper waters. I would like to move into a greater depth in my relationship and not and get off this plateau. But there's perceived risk that we're unwilling to take because we're scared. And and these are human-nature things. This morning I want to look at two people from the Old Testament. I want to look at Moses kind of the beginning of his ministry. And I want to look at Elijah towards the end of his ministry. And both of them in some way had plateaued or, or had become somewhat stagnant in, in, in a certain way. You know, Moses, if you, if you want to turn to Exodus chapter 3, and this week's life group material, week 4 is talking about Moses and the Exodus. And there's a couple points I pulled out of this that I think fits really well. But you'll, you'll get into Moses and all in the life group material in, in a different way. But, but we know Moses, you know, was in a basket, floated down the river, ended up in Pharaoh's home, raised in Pharaoh's home, um, and under the privilege of the ruling class. There was nothing Moses probably didn't have, but yet he knew he was a Hebrew. And at the same time, he knew that his people were slaves. Um, and, and in this slavery um, relationship, I guess you could say, with, with Egypt, not by their choice in any way. But Moses ends up in the desert, as we know, tending sheep because of some actions that, that took place in, in Egypt. He, he runs into the desert. He's tending sheep. He's married. He's got a great father-in-law. All these things that, that I guess you could, you could say he's kind of got the American Hebrew Egyptian dream going on. He's just kind of punching the clock. I'm tending some sheep. It's, it's not the best of jobs, but hey, it's okay. I'm not in prison having to face murder charges or being, you know, punished in some way. I can, I can take care of my sheep. I can come home to a warm meal. If, if I get lonely, I got Jethro. I've got my wife. So I've got these things. He's just kind of going in and out, in and out, through the motions, day in and day out. But yet there's still something, I believe, hovering over Moses because he's not doing what God's called him to do. But he could have easily stayed a shepherd for the rest of his life. And then God begins to call him. But, you know, what keeps Moses, I believe, in the place as a shepherd in the desert is kind of maybe two things. And sometimes we have these same excuses. One is, I've tried. You think about Moses. In the desert, you know, if God's before the burning bush, if if he's saying, you know, well, maybe God's called me to something greater or something bigger. But, But, look, I've tried. I tried to intervene in the past. I tried to save one of my guys. I tried, and and now I have the Hebrew people against me and and my own people against me, and I've got the Egyptians against me me as well. I've tried. How many times have we said that? I've tried. I tried to be kind to this person, or I tried to reach out here, or I tried to do this. And because it didn't work out the way that we wanted it to, we've kind of just stepped back and said, well, I'm not going to do outreach anymore. I'm not new evangelist anymore. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to offer someone this because they took advantage of me last time. I'm just not going to go through that anymore. And there's something that kind of hovers over us because there's more that I believe God has for us within that. Moses also, I think, was scared. He was scared to go back to Egypt because he knew he would have to face the music of what his, he had done in the past, his actions. He was scared to go deeper. And sometimes we're scared to go deeper as well. And if you think about it, stagnant is not the word that we like. Plateau is a little bit softer of a word, right? We've kind of plateaued. But in essence, we're stagnant. Again, maybe not like those pictures showed, but there's a stagnant part in us because there's more that God has for us. And there's something hovering over us, which is the call of God, the purpose of God, where we're just unsettled. We just can't quite get a grasp on it. We're happy punching the clock, maybe. We're happy in our job. We're happy reading the Word. We're happy going to church. We're happy serving. But there's something that's more that's there. There's that that seven-year itch that's there. We pick it up here in in, in chapter 3, verse 2. It says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but it was not consumed. So Moses thought, and I love this right here, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? So Moses is kind of out there, and and, and for some reason, I got this kind of surfer dude image in my mind where he's just kind of laid back, having a good time, and he's like, Whoa, dude, the, the bush is on fire. Let me go check it out. You know, he doesn't know what's getting ready to happen. He's not looking for God in the bush. He's not thinking about God being in the bush. He's not thinking about anything except tending his sheep, going home, going through the motions day after day. But this bush catches his attention, and he's drawn to it. And it's in the burning bush where, where Moses has an encounter with God. I think we have burning bushes in our lives Things that are there, a challenge, whether it's something emotional or whether it's something physical, or, or there's a situation relationally, or there's something in our culture um, that, that's much bigger, that's like a burning bush, and we don't necessarily see God in it. We don't, maybe we don't want to see God in it. We're not expecting to see God in it, but yet God's calling us to that place so that we can encounter Him. Because the key here is that we encounter God. And that's really my point this morning, is that we encounter God. See, we can know of God and we can know about God, but do we know God? And most of us will say, yes, absolutely, we know God, but we've also plateaued. And if we're at that place of plateauing, there's more that he's calling us to. There's deeper waters. There's deeper intimacy that he's calling us into. Because when we have these personal encounters with God, I think there's three things that take place. One, he affirms, there's an affirmation that takes place. There's a strengthening, and then there's a casting of the vision or a reminding of the purpose. Look look as we read through the rest of Exodus 3, or some of Exodus 3. Starting in verse 4, it says, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Don't come any closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued. And here's the affirmation I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's affirming to, to Moses the relationship. I am your God. I'm the God of generations. I'm your God. I'm the one who's going to strengthen you as, as we get here in just a minute. Moses hid his face because he became afraid to look at God. Skim me down to verse 10. Therefore. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. And this is the strengthening. If God is sending, God is strengthening. God doesn't just send us out and say, go in your own strength, go in your own way, go in your own peace. He strengthens us so that we are sent. He says, I'm sending you to go to Pharaoh so you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. There's the the vision. There's the purposes that is there. And so when we have these personal burning bush encounters Um, with God, they affirm what God is doing in our life. They affirm our relationship with him. They strengthen us to stay in the battle, continue to fight in the battle, and not grow weary in the battle. He strengthens our our feeble knees as we're standing firm. But he's also reminding us of the calling that is there upon our lives, God's purpose that that is there. It goes on here, as Moses says, and he asks these two questions basically, who am I and who are you, God? Verse 11, Moses asks, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And in verse 13, Moses asks, if I go to the Israelites, what do I say to them? The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they they ask me, what is his name? So basically, he's asking those two questions. God, who am I? And God, who are you? And I think this is such a cool concept that we know it's a foundational thing, is knowing who you are in Christ, but also knowing who God is. But yet without these personal encounters, we forget them so many times. And I believe that's why we plateau. Yes, we're coming and we're reading our word. Yes, we're praying, we're serving, we're giving, we're doing all these things. But yet we're not digging deeper and being reminded sometimes of who we are. That we're God's workmanship, chosen for good works. That we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. That we're fearfully and wonderfully. That we're sons and that we're daughters of the true and living God. There's these things in our identity that we're so quick to forget. And we'll see in a few minutes how a spoken word changed Elijah's confidence. The spoken word sometimes of others. The spoken word of of those around us in the world. Not always the spoken word, but sometimes the action of those. it, It changes our identity. You know, someone can say, hey, you're having a, a bad hair day. Maybe it's halfway through the day. Maybe, maybe that morning you're feeling very confident. You're walking around very confident. And then someone says, hey, you, you're having a good hair day? I mean, what's wrong, you know? And, and I know it's very surfacey, But think about it. It may begin to change the way that you walk that day. That's very simple. But the world kind of tells us. And we need these personal encounters. We need to come to God daily and, and, and in, in the burning bush situations and encounter him. On the other side of that, we don't just know who we are, but we're reminded of who God is. That He's the Almighty. He's the all-powerful. He's the creator of this universe. That is the one who is all-loving and all-caring. It's important because the enemy wants to come and tell every one of us that we're losing the battle, that we're not even battling, that we don't even need to battle. The enemy will come and say, as he did to Adam and Eve in some form or fashion, did God really say that you need to battle? Did God really say this? Does God really say that? And look, you're not even winning. And I think for a lot of us, we haven't seen the visible manifestation of God in ways that we've wanted to see Him. There's things happening in the invisible, and even when it's visible, sometimes we miss it because it's not quite what we want. And, and, And when the enemy begins to say, why are you battling? There's no victory because you're battling the wrong way, or you're not battling right, or you don't even need to battle, that we buy into that. And I want to encourage us that if we're going to have victory, if we're going to see God break mindsets and heal hearts and break spiritual bondage and and cut away emotional baggage and bring healing and and resurrect dreams, we've got to understand that we're in a battle. But it's not a battle where we do it in our own strength and our own way. God is strengthening us as he affirms us and as he continues to put that call upon our lives. We don't battle alone. Yes, we may feel that we're growing weary or our knees are feeble, but God is there strengthening us more than a feeling. The, the affirmation of knowing who we are and knowing who God is trumps the feeling. That we know, yes, I may feel that I'm weak right now, I may feel I'm not losing the battle, but my word that God has given me or the word has spoken through someone else, which is God's word, tells me that I'm winning. That's why Paul says, stand firm then. Continue to stand. Because he knew you were going to battle. These Romans, they fought all day. And we see it in Israel in in the Old Testament. They would fight day and night for days upon end. And God strengthened them every step of the way. If we're going to see victory, we've got to continue to battle. But the foundational truth is we've got to know and be reminded of who we are day after day. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're precious. You're worthy to come to the throne of grace with boldness and with confidence. The things that we forget. Sometimes in prayer, I'm like, God, if you, if you could just answer this prayer. God, if, if you just have time. I'm not quite like that. And I stop and think, wait, wait, I'm a son. My son has no problem coming and asking me. The moment I get home, Dad, can we throw a baseball? And I'm like, can I talk to your mom just for a moment? He's like, well, how long is that going to take? And, I'm not, and I love it. But I'm thinking, man, do I come to God in the same way? And if I don't get outside in the two minutes and I say it'll be a couple minutes, what do I get? Lingering. He comes and he lingers around me. And he's learned not to necessarily ask again, but I know what he's saying. And I'm not trying to embarrass you, buddy. I just love it. You know? And and it's a reminder. And And God wants that from us as well. To come and linger in his presence. come and know that I can come and ask, and he's not going to backhand me or say, you stupid kid, or anything like that. He's going to say, yeah, come on in, come on in. We need to encounter God as Moses did. He was stagnant in the desert, just tending the sheep, and this burning bush moment changed his life. But the, the essence of it is that he had this encounter with God. And as we see, it wasn't just a one-time encounter. Moses continued to encounter God time and time again in the tent of meeting or up on the mountain. So much they had to cover his face because they were scared of the glory that was there. It was a consistency that took place. The story of Elijah, we pick it up in, in Kings, 1 Kings. I believe chapter, We're going to be in chapter 19, but I believe chapter 16, 17 begins to tell some about Elijah. Elijah was an amazing man of God. But yet, there's something here that, that I want to point out. Elijah, the story, it really gets me. You know, he was, God wanted to bring a famine upon the land. And so he chose Elijah to kind of pronounce this or pray this in, I guess you could say. So famine came upon the land but birds came and, and provided and fed for him. I don't. Have you ever had birds bring you like a Papa John's pizza or, or anything? You're hungry in that moment. I get hungry here sometimes, and because I ate my breakfast real early, by like 10.30 I've eaten through my lunch, and it's like 1 o'clock, and I'm like so hungry. There's no food here. And I'm like, is there any birds going to bring me something? I don't think any of us have ever prayed, and there's been famine on the land, or birds haven't fed us, or you know that but, but this happened with him, and then he had this encounter with a widow who had just had a little bit of flour left. She said, I'm going to bake a cake for my son and I, and we're just going to eat it, and we're going to die. He said, why don't you give me just a little bit of that cake? And out of her obedience, God worked through all this. But again, it's Elijah with the, really the faith and the anointing that allowed this woman to continue to have flour throughout the whole famine to where her and her son survived. And not only, on top of that, he went to Mount Carmel. And he calls all the prophets of Baal. Hey, all you prophets, come here. Let's have a competition, in essence. You do a sacrifice, and I'll do a sacrifice. We'll cut up, we'll cut up an animal. And you call upon Baal all day, your God, and we'll see what happens. And they call upon, and, and he starts to kind of mock them a little bit and say, maybe you need to cut yourself. Maybe, maybe you need to call a little bit later. Maybe he's on vacation. And the whole day, nothing happens. And the, end of the day, he tells the people, go get some water. And they begin to pour water, I think, three times upon this, um, this sacrifice or this, this animal that's, that's been cut up ready to sacrifice. And he calls upon the God of heaven. This wasn't Elijah doing this. It was God doing it through Elijah. And fire comes down and consumes everything, this wet, drenching, wet sacrifice. That's pretty cool if you think about it, right? Anyone ever done that? Anyone ever thought about doing that? I mean, I think about like seeing injustice or something in, in the place or, or, or people worshiping false gods maybe like on the campus or, or in the workplace and I'm like, all right, let's have a battle. You ever thought about doing that? I'm like, eh, I've thought about it, but I'm not going to do it because what happens if I fell? I don't know if I've got enough faith for this or not. Elijah, man, there's some faith there. But then after that, what does he do? He goes and prays and, and there comes rain upon the land. He, again, it's not him. But he's, he's being obedient. and God's working through him. I, I've prayed many times for it not to rain on a camping trip or something or, or throwing seed on the yard. I'm like, Lord, I need some rain, and there's no rain for like two months. I don't, Something's working wrong here. And he's so anointed at this point as, as we get into, I think, Kings 18, 1 Kings 18, that he tucks his mantle, um, everything into his belt, and he begins to run from the place where he's at, um, not to Jerusalem, but to, I think it's to Jezreel, Jezreel, and he outruns Ahab, the king, who is in a chariot. Anyone ever raced a chariot? We don't really have chariots here, so it's hard to imagine what this would be like. But we've seen Spartacus maybe, and that whole Roman Colosseum, and those chariots were moving along. Anyone seen Spartacus? You're all looking at me like strange. Okay, few of us much more mature people have seen it. Right? As young. I know there's a remake of Spartacus. Right? I don't know if they use the same. Ben-Hur, yes, Ben-Hur, yes, thank you for the correction. (laughs) Told you I wasn't perfect, right? Thank you, Gary. Ben-Hur, anyone seen Ben-Hur? All right. So the chariots are racing, right? They're moving pretty quick. But the Word of God tells us that Elijah outran this chariot. Now, this is a pretty cool guy, right? Let's pick it up in, in chapter 19 real quick. So Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. This is not an idle threat. This is a real threat. Verse 3, Elijah became afraid. What? Anyone ever want to read that and be like, What? I love it because, man, Elijah's real here. But it almost brings this superstar status down a little bit, but not really. He became afraid, but look what we just talked about, all this stuff that he did. Now, it's, an, it's not an idle threat, but yet, if God took care of him time and time again, it's just one other person, and, and yes, her army, but it's just one other person. And he became afraid, and he ran, immediately ran for his life. That's I don't know that just strikes me and I and I think it's a picture of us many times too, because we see God moving, we know God is moving, maybe not in the dramatic like that. But if I said, is there answer prayer in this room this morning? You you could testify to that. There's answer prayer. Have you seen God provide? Have you seen God heal? Have you seen God do this? Have you seen God do that? We've had these experiences. We can look back at times and we can say, okay, God was faithful there and I see what God was doing there. And I mean, God is so good. But yet we face these moments sometimes when God is, is calling us to something more, something deeper, something beyond us and fear begins to seize us and we begin to run. He, he ran, and, and there's you know the journey to the cave, I think it was about 60 miles, but, but probably the way he went and all, he, he went over 100 miles to get to the cave. But he enters this place of the cave, and, and I believe the cave is, is also a place of where you plateau. It's a place of darkness. It's a place, you could say, where, where there's stagnation. And then the word comes, and, and, and this is the point. Isn't it amazing how a word spoken can just stop what God is moving the flow? This is word spoken by Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. Stopped him in his tracks. And he ran. I mean, I'm scared to get in a battle with someone. Okay, okay, you call upon your God and I'll call upon my God and we'll see what happens. I don't know if I got the faith right, but he did. But Jezebel calls him to run. The word spoken sometimes can stop that flow, can, can kind of cause us to plateau, can cause us to back away from something. Verse 9 I believe it's verse 9. Can you go to verse 9? You don't have verse 9? 19, 9. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And Elijah launches into this, and not launching in a negative way, but he begins to say, Look, God, I've been very zealous for you. Verse 10, For the Lord God of hosts, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they're looking for me to take my life. I think Elijah needs a tissue here. I mean, doesn't it sound like us many times? And We say, but Lord, I've done this. I've been faithful. Lord, I've done this. Lord, I've done this. Lord, and we kind of just back off a little bit. We kind of just become stagnant. Lord, I prayed this prayer, and I continue to pray this prayer, and I continue to believe according to the promises of your word, according to the promises of of whatever, but it's just not happening. We all have those things. God tells him in in verse 11, hey, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering the cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle. He went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. The Lord wasn't moving in the fire or in the earthquake or the mighty wind. He was in that small voice. It talks about personal encounter again. There's a lot more it talks about, but it, Again, look at, look at Elijah. Or God says to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 14, Elijah repeats what, what we what was recorded in verse 10. I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they're looking for me to take my life. He repeats it again. Doesn't it sound like us sometimes? Lord, you have answered this prayer, Lord, you have opened this door. Lord, you haven't grown this. Lord, you haven't done this. Lord, you haven't taken this away. You haven't reconciled that. Verse 15. God doesn't even entertain what what Elijah says. says, Then the Lord said to him, Go and return by the way you came into the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you are to anoint Hazel as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu son of Nimshi as king over Israel, and Elisha as prophet in your place. Do you see what's happening here again? There's affirmation that's taking place. There is strengthening that's taking place. And there's a calling that's taking place, a reminder of the calling and the purposes that are there. Elijah's given excuses. God doesn't address it. Rather, he affirms, he strengthens. And he sends out, he, he gives that vision. There's something greater here. All three of these men that were anointed, they had a, they had a, a great calling that we were going to carry on. And then he tells him this verse 18 But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. You see, God knew what Elijah needed in this moment. You could say Elijah was depressed, he was in despair, he was hopeless, he was questioning, just like me, just like us many times. See, Elijah needed a personal encounter with God. There was nothing wrong with Elijah's theology. But there was a missing experience. Elijah thought, if I do all these great things, Israel's going to turn Ahab, Jezebel, the others, they're going to turn and they're going to worship the Lord. And when these things didn't take place, he became very disappointed. That's why the threats that Jezebel gave resonated so much. Hey, I've chopped this, this sacrifice up and God, you've come down. But the people haven't changed. Famine on the land, but people haven't changed. Why should I, why should I do it anymore? Why should I even move anymore? Let's go ahead and let her kill me. Let me just go to the cave and die. Because, God, I'm not seeing you move in the way that, 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 that I thought you would. Charles Spurgeon says this, because I think, I think it makes a point. It said it was Elijah's daily conduct rather than his miracles which had impressed the 7,000 and led them to hold fast to their integrity. See, it's not the dramatic where God was moving. Yes, he was moving the dramatic. But the difference was that Elijah was having this personal encounter with God day after day after day. And the significance of God speaking in that small voice, that small whisper, points to the significance that we need to have that personal encounter. The 7,000 didn't necessarily look at, at the sacrifice or the no rain or this or that. They looked at the constant contact, the constant devotion that Elijah had day after day after day and chose not to bow their knee because they saw his integrity. And for us as we battle, and I believe there's there's all of us in this room we're battling. And sometimes we're asking the question, God, is it worth it? Is it worth following you? And the answer is we get we, we know it's yes, but then we say, God, why does it have to be so hard? God, why do I have to stand and continue to battle day after day? Is victory going to come? We're not seeing the victory, but we are victorious. There is a victory that's taking place. It may not always be visible, but it will in time. But we have to make a choice to continue to encounter God, to encounter Him. Not just to know of Him, not just to know about Him, but as we encounter that He will affirm and He'll strengthen us and He'll show us His plan. It's the only way that we're going to continue to battle in the way to victory. Because when our knees feel weak, He's going to strengthen us. When we say, I'm not worthy to go in battle, or I'm not even, I'm not even made to go in battle, God said, yes, you are, because this is who you are in me, and this is who I am. Well, I don't even know what I'm doing here in the battle, and God's going to show you that vision, the stars in the sky like he showed Abraham, and remind us of that calling and that purpose that is upon us. I want to encourage us to continue to battle. But the essence, the key to that is coming into that relationship with him day after day, which we already do, I believe, but allowing him to take it just to a new level, to a new place. It's pretty cool when you look at Moses and Elijah, these, these men, these great men of God, and you see maybe some of their, their weaknesses. To me, it's, it's ministering. To me, it's, it's encouraging that, man, these men of God They're human. They're just like us. Continue to battle. Continue to battle. This is a year of victory. We're going to begin to see things as a church. We're going to begin to see things as individuals that we've been praying for, we've been believing for for a while. Even things that maybe we haven't even been praying for or believing for. It's going to happen. We celebrated victory this morning as we took communion that Christ overcame sin. If Christ overcame sin so that we may have a relationship, there's a victory that's available to all of us. The greatest victory of all is Christ overcame death. Death, where's your sting? We have life. Let's plug in. Let's encounter God on a daily basis. Let's do whatever we need to do to overcome that plateau, to overcome the stagnation. Come into his presence. Let him him begin to reaffirm you, to affirm you once again to strengthen you and to remind you of the calling, the dreams that are there. So this morning, Lord, we pray of just a great reminder, just the great privilege we have to to be in relationship with you. Lord, we confess that sometimes we've been about knowing you. We've we've been about knowing of you, but not necessarily knowing you. And so, Lord, we we ask that, that we will just have personal encounters with you. And we'll come to these places where there's burning bushes that may be challenges or, or things that we're not even expecting to see and know that you're in it and that we, we will encounter you in those places. Lord, we pray in the caves where we may be that as you call us out and there's that small whisper, that small gentle voice, Lord, that we encounter you. Lord, continue to affirm us. Continue to, to strengthen us each and every day. And Lord, help us to see the vision of our callings upon our lives. Lord, we thank You that You call us to battle and that we don't go to battle by ourselves. We battle with You. Lord, help each and every one of us in this room stand back up and battle. To stand back up and fight with vigor. To stand back up and know there's a reason why we fight. It's because of You. May Your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Jesus. Yes, we bless your name this morning. And we thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Be encouraged, church.